Well, it is great to see you, and good job for springing forward and being here. Self-inflicted, pat on the back, that away. Uh, we do have our hospitality team waiting until 11.45, and they're watching to see which cars come in and then drive on out. So maybe you've been one of those in the past, but again, we're thankful. Glad to have you here. Uh, we have been going through Exodus We just finished that series, and we're going to start a new series today in Romans. Actually, it's a continuation of a series we've been in uh, called The Romans Road. And so, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to join me uh, as we read, and I'm going to have, thank you so much, Mark, I'm going to have this side of the room read the odd verses. I mean, numerically odd. It's not to say that this is odd, this side is odd. Nope, that's not what I mean. You'll be reading with me the odd verses. This side is going to join our friend Sam here. Or Zach, I said Sam. Why did I say that? Because it was fun for me to do, that's why. Uh, You're going to read the even verses. You're going to read the even verses with Zach. So we want to stand for the Word of God, so we're going to ask you to do that with us. Again, this side is reading what verses? Odd verses. That's right. And this side is reading? Even nailed it. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and begin. Join me. I am speaking with the truth in Christ. I am not living. My conscience bears me in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed. They are Israelites and to go belong. To them belong the patriarchs, and from the but it is not as and not all our children of Abraham. This means that it is not the God. The children of the promises are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. And not only. Though they were not yet born, she was told, as it is written, Jacob, what shall we say then? For he says to Moses, 
So then it depends. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, So then, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Great job, Zach, who is not Sam. All right. Well, again, welcome. We are glad you're here. I am really excited uh, as we walk into this together. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me today, if you're comfortable, and that's to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. To consecrate ourselves means that we are offering to God what is ours to offer. So we're specifically going to go through our mind, our eyes, our nose, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet. And as we go through those uh, places, I want to encourage you to just, as a way of, of joining me in prayer, of just kind of putting your hands in those places uh, as we're consecrating them to the Lord. So, with that in mind, would you join me as we consecrate our time? Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you today. We consecrate our mind to you, that we would think on you all day long. Lord, we consecrate our eyes to you, that we would see you at work in us and through us and around us. Lord, we consecrate our nose to you, that sin would smell like death, and that the aroma of Christ would be present as we walk in faith. Lord, we consecrate our ears to you, that we would hear you and obey you. Lord, we consecrate our mouth to you, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and that our words would be pleasing to you. Lord, we consecrate our hands to you, that we would serve you and that through us you would serve others. And Lord, we consecrate our feet to you, that we would be quick to follow in obedience. Lord, we consecrate our lives to you, that we would be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, we are continuing on this Romans Road series, so let me address where we have been. So in Romans this book is presented to us where we see both the nation of Israel and Gentiles. In the nation of Israel, we're going to see some individuals in, uh, with relationship to uh, Gentiles. We're also going to have some individual responses. But it's important for us to see that often there is this discussion with Jew and Gentile. In chapter 1, Paul, Paul makes this proclamation he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And it is that message that is carried on throughout the entire book, this message of salvation, that it has come from Israel, which we'll get into in just a few moments, and that it is extended beyond the national borders of Israel and the very people of Israel to Gentiles as well. And we're going to see a response to that. The themes continue to grow and develop. And in chapter 3, we see that Paul, Paul reminds all of us, both Jew and Gentile, nation and individuals, 
that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have, you have, Israel has. And that 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 national identity is not where we find salvation. The themes continue. We're reminded in chapter 5, while we were uh, yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, reminding us that it is not our work that creates salvation, that it is the very work of God. In other words, I can't earn it and I can't produce it. I also don't inherit it from my nationality, which is a big part of the messaging throughout the book of Romans. Continues on into chapter 6. In chapter 6, Paul wants us to identify something very specifically, and that is this. That if it's true that salvation belongs to God, and that is an extension of grace, then we also want to recognize that our sin doesn't give God more glory. Let me explain. So there were a group of people within the church that were starting to say, since I can't earn my salvation, then God is glorified by more grace that he extends. Therefore, I I should continue in sin. That grace may abound. Paul addresses that right in the very beginning of chapter 6. And he says, God forbid, heaven forbid, that should not be the case. We do not continue in sin that grace may abound. The message continues on where in verse 23 he says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, that though we, though we are saved by grace and it is the work of God, there is a reality. And the reality is that when we sin, we are separated from God. In other words, my sin separates me from God. Now, uh, that is in a relational sense. It's also in an ultimate sense. So if I I don't yield to the Lord, if I don't surrender to his uh, salvation by him being Lord of my life, then ultimately, completely, I am separated from God. That is this death that is talked about. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the message continues to build and to grow as we get into chapter 8. And we are reminded then, because it, it, uh, Paul is building this theme up that, okay, well, well what if we do sin? What, what happens then? And he reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The message continues to build. It continues to give strength both for Jew and Gentile that this Christ is there for both of them. That nations can yield to Jesus, but also individuals can yield to Jesus. And salvation is found there. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. It won't be up on the screen, but Romans chapter 8, right at the very end, we're going to look at verse 37 through 39 to prepare us for chapter 9. As you're turning there, I'll go ahead and read. So again, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, to the end of the chapter, and it says this, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So our victory comes from Jesus. It's not something that we get because we're good, because we are able to conquer sin and death. That comes from Jesus. And Paul highlights that. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. And so there, there is this climax in this section about how God loves us and has called us to himself. And there is no division. There is no separation uh, from him, no matter what. And you would think then that the next section would lead us to this statement. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That seems like the, the next natural step. But that's chapter 12. There's chapter 9, 10, and 11 before that. And it gets a little bit clunky. And so in this, before we jump into chapter 9, we're going to address two things. We're, we're going to address, first of all, so, the sovereignty of God, and we're going to address free will. So just something light and easy today to get us going. We're going to address these two topics and, and, and maybe even challenge our assumptions on it. Then we're going to talk about who God is. Then we'll get into the passage and point out some some major pieces to it. So let's take a look. Sovereignty. Sovereignty refers to God's supreme power and authority over all things. So do you believe that God is big enough to have authority over all things? Not just all things now, but past, present, and future. All things. God's sovereignty is often understood to mean that he has a plan for everything that happens, including human actions. So sovereignty would express that God is in control and that things happen in our life in accordance to God's will and God's plan. Now, uh, those who are on the other side, generally speaking, would refer to another discussion called free will. And free will would say, there are elements that maybe God is in charge of in the big picture, but we also have free will. We have choices to make, decisions to make. If God is sovereign the way that we're defining sovereignty, then we're robots. And we're just kind of going about life doing things that God has already predestined us to do, the way that God has predestined us to do them. And how then could God judge us if he's already programmed us to do those things, free will. And so <clears throat> free will refers to the ability of human beings to make choices that are not determined by external forces. Free will is often understood to mean that human beings have genuine responsibility for their actions and that our choices have real consequences. So especially in the West, we have had this opposition. On the one hand, there's the sovereignty of God. He's in charge of everything. On the other hand, we have free will and we can really mess things up. And so it doesn't really matter if we're in the West or if we're in the East, if we're in the North or if we're in the South. It doesn't matter. What matters is God's Word. What does God's Word teach us? And so as we look at God's Word and, uh, and wrestle through this, we start to see some things uh, uh, emerge before us. So let's talk about sovereignty. Here's an example from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph is revealed that he is the brother uh, of the tribes of Israel. 
His brothers have sold him off into slavery, and Joseph is making an iconic statement that leans towards this issue of sovereignty. He says this, As for you, you meant evil against me because they sold him into slavery. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So despite the reason and motivation of the brothers, Joseph sees this as God's hand allowing him to be in a place that he wouldn't have been otherwise so that many people would have life extended to them. You can also look at Acts chapter 17, verse 26, as a place where we see God is at work within nations and peoples. In Acts chapter 17, this is Paul's message on Mars Hill. He says this, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, God has allowed people and people group nations to emerge and that they have boundaries that they live in and specifically because God made that happen. So people are by extension where they are supposed to be because God has allowed that to happen or made that happen. So as we look at scripture and really start to take a broader look at scripture, we see God's sovereign plan. In fact, Uh, God's sovereignty is revealed in the fact that there are prophetic messages. So messages from the Old Testament that speak prophetically about things that will happen in the New Testament. How does free will get in the way of that? Sovereignty is a principle we see throughout Scripture, both directly and indirectly revealed. But then there's also this matter of free will. What does free will say? Well, remember, those that are proponents of free will say, well, if God is sovereign, then we're not accountable. So let's see what God's word says. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. In other words, I'm I'm responsible for me. That's Romans 14, 12. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So even Jesus identifies that on an individual level, we are accountable. So let's look at these uh, sides, and let's make everybody upset. So the side of sovereignty is clearly revealed in Scripture. The side of free will, and, and specifically that I'm accountable for my actions, is clearly identified in scripture, where we have tried to divide, uh, God is looking to unite. It's not one or the other. It appears to be a both and, that God is indeed in charge and in control, and we are responsible for our actions, that we, there are consequences to those actions, and those actions uh, we will be accountable to in front of God. And so, one of the biggest problems that as this plays out, becomes this. I want to be in charge of what I do in the world around me. Do you? Like, it feels good to be in charge, right? To have a little bit of control? Okay, I'm the only one in this room. All right. Now, we all want to be in control of our lives. We all think that we're the master of our destiny. We we all uh, would rather make decisions than decisions be made for us, right? That's true. 
But the problem with that is uh, I'm not God and neither are you. So what I'd like to do is take just a moment and uh, if you would help me, let's identify some attributes of God. If you would yell out some attributes of God, things like he's holy. That would be an example of an attribute of God. Go ahead and just yell those out. Help me out while I get a drink. Yeah. Excellent. I have a few more. Yeah. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's always present everywhere at all times. He's immutable, meaning that uh, he never changes. He's eternal. He's holy. He's loving. He's merciful. He's just. He's sovereign. He's God. How many of us believe that, though? Do you believe that? Absolutely. If we believe that, then it's easier to embrace his sovereignty. So, as an example, when we get sick, oh, God, why would you allow this to happen? Or, God, you have allowed this to happen and you have a plan in the midst of my sickness. When things don't go the way that we think that they should be, God, you have a plan in the midst of this that is better and bigger than my plan. And also... I am accountable for my actions. I choose to follow you in this place because you've drawn me to this place. You, you've opened me up to do this, and I receive you, and I follow you. So with, with that in mind, I, I'd like to share just a couple of things. Recently, <clears throat> let me back up. Uh, my family history has been an enigma to me. Like, uh, we just haven't had anybody who has done the research. Perhaps you've had that as well. Kind of a funny thing, at least it's funny to me, that my dad's side of the family, their last name's White. My mom's side of the family, her last name's House. True story. <laughs> so we have the White House there. And uh, I, I haven't really known beyond my grandparents anything about our family. So in recent days, some work has been done. And in some cases, we were able to go back 35 generations. That's, that's, a long, that's a long way for somebody who only knew like grandparents. That's a lot of generations. Uh, to put it in perspective, 35 generations takes us to about uh, 1175, about. So 1175, at least on one uh, side of my family and the basic general uh, math on that means this, is this. In terms of direct descendants, there are 35 billion people who had to be in the right place at the right time for me to be here today, which is also true for you. If you think back the, that many generations, 35 billion people had to be in the right place at the right time doing the right things, and that's just direct descendants to to give us kind of a picture of that, there are 7 billion people in the world today. So 35 billion over 875 years, that's roughly 35 generations, uh, for us to be here. And yet, I think all of us can say we're here on purpose. Uh, like God made this happen. God has me here for a reason. Is that true? God has you here for a reason? 
then even 875 years ago, he was planning and orchestrating something in ways that we can't plan and orchestrate. God has been at work. Why? Because God is good. He is holy. He is just. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. Uh, uh, God loves us. He cares for us. And he has a plan in all of these things. And so he's sovereign. And I'm responsible. So let's break this down and let's start to look at it uh, in the sections uh, from, from Romans chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 18. Paul initially begins this, this discussion in a similar fashion that Moses did. So Moses, after the golden calf incident goes to God and says, it would be better for you to blot me out than to blot the nation of Israel out. Like, deal with me. Don't deal that way with the nation of Israel, lest the nations look at Israel and say, their God led them into the wilderness uh, to kill them. Just blot me out. Paul takes a similar approach uh, in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 2. He says, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now he's bringing that up because the leadership in ancient Israel, by and large, rejected the Messiah. So don't miss it. God uniquely has kept Israel as a people throughout world history. He has specific things that they're supposed to do, the way that they sacrifice, the way that the temple functions and looks. And it's for the nations to look and go, that, that's what salvation looks, that's what has to happen for salvation. The nations see that. And then God, as, he, as, he, as was prophesied, shows up. God with us in the form of Jesus the Christ. And he lives this perfect life and in every way fulfills the uh, temple sacrifices, and the picture, or the shadows of the temple. He does everything perfectly that the nation of Israel might look and see that this is the Messiah. But he's not contained by Israel. That salvation is also for the Gentiles, the people around. And Paul is addressing that, and in a way is saying, he's making the argument, well, wait a minute, if God blessed Israel with salvation, and they reject Jesus as their Savior, then can we trust any of God's Word? And throughout this discussion that Paul is presenting, he's going to reveal that God has been faithful the whole time. And so here are some, uh, we're going to give three kind of major movements in this section. The first one is this, God's sovereignty in choosing whom to bless and whom to hold accountable. We see that in verses uh, 6 through 13. And in verses 6 through 13, it becomes very evident uh, that God chooses who to bless and who to hold accountable. In other words, and maybe you've, you've experienced this, where you've been around someone who just seems like everything good is happening to them, and they're rotten. Like, they're, they, maybe they're cheat, or they have shortcuts, or... Uh, they don't do things the right way, or maybe they hurt other people. And it seems as though they're being blessed. Paul's argument is going to suggest this. Yep. And God, 
might be blessing them, not because of what they're doing, but because he's God. Because God uniquely wants to position them in a place to address his will and his ways. Just as I said earlier, dealing with 35 generations ahead. Uh, God was moving people in places. I have family in Switzerland and Germany and Ireland, and they, they were uniquely situated and pushed. And in some cases, there were wars that came in that, that made them immigrate to other areas. Not because they wanted to, but because bad things were starting to happen to them. Not because of what they did, but because of leadership around them. And I look back now, I can look at that 35 generations later and go, and I'm here in part because of that. What I'm saying is this, God is sovereign and he knows what we don't know. And sometimes he chooses to bless people. But when he does, he's doing that for a specific purpose, to draw people to himself. And then he also holds people accountable. And sometimes uh, uh, we heard this with our kids. We had seven kids. And as they grew up, uh, some of the younger ones would go, you don't do that with the older kids. That's not fair. No, we've done that with the older kids. Uh, right now, we're training you for a specific reason. Uh, you're, you're missing some rules that you need to get down. And we're working with you. And it's not that we're ignoring them. This is just the time for you. And so in similar fashion, God is saying, yep, and, or I'm sorry, uh, Paul is saying that there are times when he's going to hold people accountable while he's blessing other people. And the reason he's doing it is not because this side is good and that's why they get blessings and this side is bad and that's why they're getting held accountable. It's because God is sovereign and God knows what we don't know. And if all of those things are true that we stated about God's very character, then we have to lean into that and accept it. Yep, God, you are good. And so we see that flow in this passage that moves on to this. God's purpose in choosing Israel and using them to bring about salvation history. In other words, Israel has a unique role in world history. Not, not just in the past and not just in the present, but also to come. God has a unique role for Israel. And in addressing Israel the way that he did with the rules and regulations that we see in the first five books of the scriptures, especially Leviticus, even more so, we see rules and regulations uh, for this nation to be a nation that will reveal salvation to the nations around them. And, and we're reminded of that. It's not because... Uh, Israel is better than the other nations. It's because God is sovereign and knows what he's doing. And, and God is uniquely protecting Israel throughout world history for a reason. And a part of that reason is to reveal salvation to the nations around him. And in the beauty and the splendor of God's sovereignty, we see that in very specific ways. Mm. I would ask you, what other nation has emerged after being dispersed after 2,000 years? What language has come back after not being used for 2,000 years by a people? And there, there is none save Israel. And so, Israel has played this place. In the past, God himself showed up in the form of Jesus the Christ, 
revealing himself as the salvation giver. In other words, it was his work, not the nation of Israel. Israel was just the house that it happened in. God, God's purpose in choosing Israel and using them to bring about salvation history. And so we're thankful. Just as Romans 1 started and continued in verse 16 with Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe the Jew first, and then the Gentile. It came to the nation of Israel first and is extended uh, to the Gentiles. Continuing on. God's right to show mercy to some and judgment to others. Have we ever thought of it in those terms? God has a right to do that? He chooses to. It's It's his right because he's God. And That doesn't mean that we're not accountable. It absolutely does mean that we're accountable. But I do like the way uh, that 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 and 21 says it. says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself... From what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Part of the reason uh, that early on we consecrated ourselves today is this very issue, that God has the right to show mercy, that means not giving us what we do deserve, to some and to judge others. But now we're offering ourselves to the Lord to use us for his glory. And that's the movement of this section. That God is indeed good and has a plan, and it's a good plan. And in God's plan, sometimes bad things happen to good people, and we don't know why, perhaps on this side of eternity. And we may not even know after 35 generations of looking back at it. But God does, and God is good, and God is sovereign, and he knows what we don't know, and he has a plan and a purpose in all of it. And... We also see that God does hold people accountable and judges. And it's because God is good and God is merciful and God knows what we don't know. And so uh, what I'd like us to do before we go into more application questions is is to chew on a few things first. Uh, Here's the first one. Is it possible that there are areas in your life where you are being held accountable In other words, there are consequences of other people's sin and behavior that is affecting you and infecting you that is very inconvenient, perhaps even hurtful, that has nothing to do with you and that God is allowing on purpose. Also, is it possible that there are good things happening in your life that's not because you're good? It's not because you've earned it, but because God. God is good and is choosing to move you in a certain direction at this time. Additionally, can we pause and marinate in the fact that God has extended his salvation beyond a nation of Israel where sacrifices had to be made a certain way and has extended that to anyone who would come to faith in him? Can we marinate in that place, not just intellectually, but spiritually. And then finally, 
for us to receive the mercy that has been extended to us, that we're not receiving what we do deserve, but also at times when we drift, when we do our own thing, when we unconsecrate ourselves, our mind, our eyes, our nose, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, when we unconsecrate ourselves, that there may be judgment. And that judgment is rightly given by God. All right. As we prepare our hearts for communion and as the worship team comes out here in just a second. Whoops. Let's go back to those questions. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not quite ready for that slide. All right. Uh, I want to encourage you with some application. Uh, how can we cultivate a deeper sense of awe and gratitude for God's mercy and grace, knowing that it is a gift we can't earn or that we deserve? I want to give a few suggestions. Suggestion number one, if, if you're not a part of daily devotions, and, and we use that term uh, fairly regular around here, when we say devotions, we mean reading the Word, spending time in prayer, perhaps spiritual disciplines as well. That may include things like times of, of silence and times of fasting. Uh, there, there are other attributes as well of uh, spiritual disciplines, but those, those would be a couple examples. Another one would, then we would encourage you, sorry, we would encourage you to spend some time in devotions there. If you don't know where to start, we can, uh, we can direct you on those. Also, a great place is in fellowship with other believers. People who are chasing after the Lord like you're chasing after the Lord, a life group would be an example of that. Core discipleship might be an example of that. Men's link might be an example of that. A women's Bible study that occurs throughout the week. Those would be examples of that. We want to encourage you to engage. How can we humbly acknowledge our own limitations and recognize that God's ways are higher than our ways? How can we do that? Maybe not even fully understanding it, but embrace it. One of the things we would suggest is a time of journaling or at least a time of quiet reflection before you go to bed. Consider what God has done over the course of the day. And then finally, in light of God's right to judge and show mercy, how can we live in a way that honors God and reflects his character to those around us, knowing that we will one day give an account for our lives? In other words, we are accountable. So how do we graciously live in that place and in that space? That's for us to chew on. At Friendship, we practice open communion. Open communion means that you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church to participate but it does mean that you need to be a member of the church. And I don't mean a, a church membership application that you filled out. What I'm referring to is receiving Christ as your Savior. So to participate in communion, it's for the believer. And the believer is the person who is choosing to follow Jesus because indeed Jesus has called, him, uh, called that person to himself. Additionally, for the believer... There is a call for us to examine our hearts, to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see if there's any sin in our lives. And if there is, to turn from that. That's repentance and to turn to God. And in doing so, uh, uh, we, we are confessing what God already knows to be true. At that time, you are welcome to go to a station nearest you, coming down the carpeted areas getting both the, both the elements and then returning on the outer edge to your seat. We'll worship together and then uh, we'll participate in communion together.
Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we love you and we need you. We thank you and we praise you. We recognize, O oh Lord, that you have a plan and it's a good plan. We also recognize that there have been times where we have we've judged you. We have elected at times to do our own thing and to hold you in contempt. We're sorry. Lord, we apologize and we ask that you would forgive us and help us to walk in a way that honors your sovereignty and owns our responsibility and that you would be glorified in all of these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.